My name's Lindsay, for those of you who don't know me. Um, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to be here because I'm often not at the 9.15 service. Today we begin a mini-series in our morning services entitled Hungry. So for the next four weeks, we're going to be thinking about the whole idea, the whole concept of hunger for God. And if you'd like to grab a Bible, there are some at the back in the, my right, your left-hand corner. Um, we're going to be following the passage quite closely, and sometimes it makes a bit more sense if I'm saying verse 14, verse whatever, and you can't follow. So do feel free, just go and grab a Bible. Um, you might find that it makes more sense. And as you do that, I'm going to pray. Lord, we thank you that you are here in our midst this morning, and we thank you for your word, and we pray, Father, that you would open it to us this morning, and that as we read it and we look at it, we focus on it, that you would teach us more about yourself and about your ways, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're in Exodus 33, and it's verses 12 to 23. And we're thinking about hunger, and I think that probably the best way to help us imagine what it's like to be hungry for God is to think about what hunger normally refers to, which is about food. The internet describes hunger as a feeling of pain, emptiness, or weakness induced by lack of food. Hunger, I'm sure we've all known that feeling of hunger. And recently, I've put my way, myself in the way of experiencing that physical hunger for lack of food. I've taken to following something called the fast diet. Now, you may have heard of the fast diet because it's a number one bestseller, and some of you are grinning already, so maybe you're doing it. You're probably ahead of me. But this is a diet, the fast diet, which um, is, it, it works on the principle that you eat normally for five days of the week, and for two days you fast. And by fasting, they recommend eating 500 calories a day. So it's kind of, it's not kind of having nothing, but it's just limiting quite a lot what you would normally eat. And then for the other five, you eat what you want. Um, and this fast diet is known or is proved to um, have some considerable health benefits um, and also to help people lose weight. I think that's probably why most people do it. Um, but for me, as I've kind of followed, followed an adapted version of it, it's enabled me to reintroduce spiritual fasting into my life, actually in a way that has been manageable for me. Um, and it's been, it's been really great. So it's a kind of multitasking type of diet. Um, <laughs> well, it enables you to multitask. Um, and it's worked really well for me. When you're hungry, you long for food. You think about it, don't you, more than ever. You think, oh, I just can't wait to get something to eat. You feel empty and you, you know, you're looking in the fridge and you're thinking, what can I have to eat? And for me, when I've been on one of my fast days, so eating 500 calories, the next day, oh, my food tastes absolutely delicious. I'm so looking forward to it. I taste every mouthful and it's very, very different from just the kind of day-to-day -day eating that we all do as a matter of routine. I find that I appreciate it so much more and I'm really desperate to get whatever it is I'm going to have for breakfast that next day. When you're hungry for God, it's a little bit the same. You long for him. You think about him a lot. You feel empty 
and you want to reach out and allow him to satisfy your spiritual hunger, your spiritual need. Years ago, some people came to this church. They joined from another church. And um, it had been a church where there hadn't been very much teaching, not very much on offer. And they came here, and they couldn't believe it. And they came to every service. They they were the first to sign up for every conference. Women's breakfast, men's breakfast, get to life group, do the alpha course. Whatever it was, they did it because they were so hungry having not been fed in their previous church. I don't know if any of you have been following um, what's been termed the Welsh outpouring recently. Has anyone, hands up if you've heard of the Welsh outpouring. Okay, just a few of you, not so many as I maybe thought. Well, back in April, in a church in one of the Welsh valleys, <coughs> at one service, I'm not sure if it was in the morning or the evening, um, they were worshipping, the people were worshipping, and the Holy Spirit broke in to their, into their meeting um, in a more powerful and more tangible way than they had previously experienced. This was April this year. So for the last two or three months up to now, they have been meeting every evening. They've been having gatherings every evening. It's been on the internet. They've had a live link. So you can, I think, I'm pretty sure it's still going on. So you can, you can check up on that. Um, and um, people have been going from all over, the, all over the nation and staying there and going to experience this evening meeting where the Holy Spirit has come in an amazing way. People said this, we were queuing for a good 30 minutes to get into the building and the sense of faith and anticipation in the crowd was tangible. One thing I noticed was people's hunger for God. Here were a group of people hungry for his presence and meeting with him. You could feel people's faith and love for Jesus. There was an expectancy. People flocked forward for prayer and were powerfully touched by the, power, by the fire of God, but like fire. Lives are being transformed. Others say people continue to be filled with the fire of God. Passion for the Savior is at a new level. People are hungering, hungering and thirsting for his presence. We thank him and praise him for his precious, precious presence. And this is what they say. We never want to go back to church with less of him. I wouldn't think you'd want to, would you? Once you'd had that, you'd experienced that amazing presence of God. Because there's nothing like being in the presence of God. And you know, I think we often experience that here at St. Paul's, don't we? I love to come to church here on a Tuesday evening for hungry once a month. And in fact, it's tonight. So it'll be similar when we can just give more time over to inviting God's presence and seeing what he wants to do amongst us. I love to take a moment in a busy day just to invite God's presence to come and meet with me. Often when I do that, he speaks to me. He says something quite surprising that I may be just not expecting when I give him that moment and I invite his presence. I wonder if you can remember times in your life when you've experienced his presence in a particular and special way. Maybe here at St. Paul's, maybe in another church, maybe at a new wine conference, maybe at home in your bedroom. Do you know what I'm talking about? That special presence. Yeah, some of you are nodding. You clearly do. That special presence of God. Throughout the Bible, the people of God are marked and distinguished by his presence. And as we read the early chapters, we see how God demonstrated his presence to the Israelite by means of a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of of fire by night. 
It was his presence that led the people out of slavery in Egypt and ultimately into the promised land. They knew his presence with them and they followed it wherever that presence went. And in our reading today that we just had, Moses demonstrates his hunger for God's presence. He knows how important it is that that presence goes with the people every step of their journey. After all, actually, it was on that basis that God would be with them that he agreed to lead the people all the way back in Exodus chapter 3. He was only going to do it if God was going to be with him and with the people. And our reading today, chapter 33, it's at a point in the story where the Israelites actually have gone off course a bit, as they often did. They'd lost their way, and they'd been worshipping other gods. They disobeyed. And I imagine that Moses, as their leader, was probably feeling a little bit vulnerable, actually, about that that the people hadn't really been doing quite what God had wanted. And I imagine that he might have been slightly fearful. I've got got some water here, honey. Thank you. I imagine that he might have been slightly fearful that God's presence might leave them. Sometimes we feel like that, don't we? If we've been a bit disobedient. What what does God think? Is he going to be here? Is he with me? I think that's probably how Moses was feeling. So we begin in verse 12. And he speaks to the Lord, saying, Lord, you've appointed me as leader of the people. But he has two things he wants to say. He says, first of all, Lord, you haven't said who you're going to send with me as I lead these people. And secondly, Lord, I need to know that your favor is on me and that I'm on the right track. He cries out to him, Lord, teach me your ways so that I can continue to find favor with you. Moses is anxious to know that God will be with them. Last October, I visited Kenya, um, the the Murray family in Maasai land um, in Kenya with a team of five others from this church. And it was a real adventure and it was very, very enjoyable. Um, I love adventures. I think lots of us do. But the thing about me is on an adventure, I do want to know that I'm in safe hands, which perhaps slightly cancels out the fact that it's an adventure. But I do like to know that I'm safe. And um, on that trip, we drove to some of the most remote parts of this world. It was incredible. No one for miles and miles and miles. Where we stayed, we were four hours from the nearest shop um, where Becca and Henny are living. And um, on the way back to the airport, we, dro- we were driving 10 hours to Nairobi, and we drove along what they call roads. They weren't roads, they were basically fields that were this deep with mud, and we were in a Land Rover. And I, I said to Henny, how do you know when to turn left? Because there wasn't even a road, never mind a signpost. He said, oh, you just kind of get to know. Um, anyway, just partway along that, the, through the mud, we broke down. And I would normally be absolutely terrified if that happened to me in the middle of Maasai land, you know, just six of us. um, You know, what do we do now? There's no help. There's no RAC or AA or anything. But thankfully, we had Henny. He was driving us. He was looking after us. And Henny just, it seems like he can do anything. So he just got out. And after about half an hour, the Land Rover was fixed. And off we went again. 
It was such a huge comfort to know that Henny's presence was with us. And I could relax, I could be at peace. Moses was looking for that reassurance from God. Then in verse 14, God replies to Moses with that reassurance. He says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. But then in verse 15, Moses, he doesn't seem quite convinced and he continues. He urges God, please don't send us out without your presence, he says. And he gives two very good reasons for this. He says, firstly, if you do, people won't know that you're pleased with us. If, if, if we go without your presence, people won't know that your favor's on us. And secondly, he says, Lord, how will we be distinguishable from other people on the earth if your presence isn't with us? Please don't send us out without your presence. And then in verse 17, the Lord responds and he says, I will respond to your request, Moses, based on the fact that I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. Phew. Thank goodness the Lord's going to go with him. And then Moses goes on in the last little bit to, to ask God to show him his glory. And the Lord says he can't show him his glory. That would be way too much for any human being to actually see God's face. But instead, he says, I will pass by you and I will proclaim to you my name. I will show you, Moses, all that I am. I will demonstrate to you my character, my compassion, my mercy. So I will show you who I am. Glory, no. My face, no. But my presence, yes. Moses could experience God's presence, and so can we, and we must. I want to say we must, because without it, our Christian walk may lack that vibrancy and that life and that satisfaction that God so wants us to have, and that I hope very much that you're kind of hungering after. So just three brief points from the passage as we seek after God's presence. Firstly, God's presence depends on being in his will. Moses' priority was to have God's presence with him wherever he went. If your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us up from here, he says in verse 15. He also knew that God's presence with him depended on him carrying out God's will and so knowing God's favor on his life. Corrie ten Boom said this, In the center of a hurricane, there is absolute peace and quiet. There is no safer place than in the center of the will of God. Maybe you know that sense of being in the center of the will of God. Conversely, to be out of the will of God is not safe, and nor is it peaceful. When we've chosen, when we've made that choice to be outside of God's will, we're not surrendered to God. We've gone our own way. And when we do that, peace is far from us. We feel unprotected. It's difficult to even to be in God's presence when we know we're out of his will. Because actually, God's light comes and it shows up the darkness. It shows us up where we've maybe wandered off God's course. When I was five years old, I was at school, and I remember stealing a brand new box of yellow chalks. I looked in the cupboard, and it, it was full. There was a pile like this of yellow chalks. Mark's looking, my husband is looking absolutely shocked. I've never told him this story. I just saw this pile of chalks, and I thought, I've got to have one of those boxes. No one's going to notice. They're so perfect and yellow and beautiful. 
So I took one, and then I went home for lunch. I was going home for lunch that day. I thought I can nip home and leave it at home. I don't think I probably even thought it through quite like that. Um, and I can leave it at home, and no one's going to notice. Anyway, I took it, and I walked home. Of course, on the way home, oh, my heart started to pound. I thought, whatever have I done? It was just terrible. Thankfully, I was going back to school in the afternoon. It was in the days where we just walked. I was five. I just walked home for for lunch and back again. We would never do that now, would we? But that's what we did. And um, anyway, in the afternoon, I went back, and I, I couldn't bear it, actually. I just couldn't bear it. I, I knew Jesus. I knew Jesus from a very little girl, and, and I know that he was prompting me. And um, so I just, I couldn't bear it any longer. I just went straight back to the cupboard. I made sure no one was looking, and I popped the box back on the pile. Oh, the relief, the incredible relief of knowing that what I'd done wrong was now put right, and I could, you know, I could breathe again. It was only probably an hour that I, you know, I was in that place, but it was terrible. It's a silly example, isn't it, really? It is a silly example, but I have to say, I think it it taught me a lesson never again to do anything like that because it was just such a horrid feeling. Imagine that magnified to something more serious. Maybe a wrong relationship that needs putting right. Maybe you've sensed God prompting you, but you just, you haven't been obedient yet. Maybe a particular call on your life. Maybe God's calling you to change job or maybe prompting you to move into a particular ministry, maybe here at church, and you've kind of ignored it. You've pushed it away. Maybe it's a heart hardened in some way to God's will and you know and you need to get it right. All those kinds of things when we're out of God's will. And maybe we can ask ourselves, how important is it for me to know God's favor on my life. Am I living in his will? And if not, what do I need to do about that? What am I willing to do about it so that I can get back in line with God's will? Moses' desire was to discover God's will and live in it because that would open the way for his presence to be with him. And the same is true for us. His presence in our life depends on our being in his will. Secondly, God's presence distinguishes us as Christians. Moses knew that without God's presence, he and the people would not be distinguishable from other people on the earth. He says in verse 15, what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Moses had a belief that when God's presence was with him, he was different from other people. I imagine that was something about how he looked, how he behaved, how he felt within himself, but he knew he was different when God's presence was with him. What about us? What is it that marks us out as different from other people? Put it another way, is there anything that marks us out as different from other people? I might ask myself, what is it that shows other people that I'm different because I'm a Christian? Jesus said in John's Gospel, a new command I give you, love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So clearly, our love marks us out as different. Jesus said that, didn't he? Then in 1 John 3, verse 24, we read, Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. So, our love marks us out. Our obedience to his commands also marks us out. Is there anything else, I wonder?
Think of the Christian you most admire. Maybe it's somebody very well known. Maybe it's a good friend of yours. Think of that person. What is it about them that marks them out as different? Think of the person who sits opposite you in your office or staff room or stands near you as you pick up your children from from school. What is it about you that they will notice that marks you out as different? How would they know that you were a follower of Jesus? What would show them? I think it's God's presence in you and with you that will show them that you're different. His presence changes things. His presence transforms you. His presence marks you out as different. So his presence depends on us being in his will. His presence distinguishes us. And thirdly and briefly, God's presence enables you as you carry out his will. Moses says in verse 12, you've been telling me to lead these people, God, but you haven't said who you will send with me. He knew he needed God to go with him if he was going to lead these people, if he was going to do what God had called him to do. What's God asked of you? What's he asked you to do, I wonder? Is it maybe a particular ministry in the church that you're doing? Something that's quite difficult, that's stretching you a little bit? Is it motherhood? Is it, has he called you to be a mother? Is it fatherhood? Has he called you to be a dad? Is it a career that he's called you to? Maybe teaching or in business or maybe in, in the medical world, medical care. Has he called you, maybe on a smaller scale, to reach out to one of your neighbours? Maybe he's called you to share your faith with a colleague at work and you're trying to do that, faithfully following him. Maybe he's called you to care for an elderly relative. God calls us to do all kinds of things, doesn't he? And you'll know personally what God has called you to do. But I want to say to you, whatever it is, you will need his presence to go with you. You dare not do it without his presence with you. He will enable you. His presence will enable you. Moses was so hungry for God that he sought God's presence above all else. And God answered that request. He revealed himself to him, his character, his compassion, his mercy, he revealed to God all that he, he revealed to Moses all that he was. And you know he'll do the same for you and for me. The scriptures say this, he satisfies your hunger with good things. He satisfies your hunger with good things. Don't you long for that? Don't you long for his presence? Don't you long to know him better, to know his compassion to experience that mercy, to know his favor on your life, to know that intimate presence with you over and over and over. Why don't we ask him?